It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into a Tuesday edition of Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, we'll take a look at Pro Football Focus's offensive line rankings. What will the Falcons be from a pass-run split this year offensively? And life without Ozzy has to start now for the Atlanta Braves. It's all next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. We welcome you into another edition of Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. We ask you to head over to YouTube.com, put Locked On Sports Atlanta into your search browser, find our channel, subscribe to it, leave us a comment, tell us what you think. We're also free and available on all of your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify and Odyssey. Leave us a five-star review there and follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. So we've been taking a look at Pro Football Focus and their unit rankings in the NFL and seeing where the Falcons come along this year in these different positional groups. So today we're going to take a look at, they came out with their offensive line rankings. Hmm. Okay. All right. So their tier one, uh, which is minor or no weaknesses. Well, I don't think that's quite where the Falcons rank. They've got the Eagles. Number one, the Browns, number two, huh? They got the Detroit lions. Number three. Who's that guy playing right tackle? Panay Sewell. Huh? We have taken him anyway. Uh, oh, look at this. Number four is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But they lost guys and they had Allie Marpet retire. And oh, that's right. They have a first team all tackle player in Tristan Wirfs. I keep forgetting about those kinds of things. Silly me that they drafted a guy high and he worked out to be for anyway. Uh, tier two, high floor, Packers, Cowboys. Well, we're probably not quite there yet. Oh, high-end potential. Maybe the Falcons fall in. Nope, Jets, 49ers, Commanders, Broncos, Ravens. Um, at least one good tackle. Uh, Giants, Vikings, Bills, Saints, Texans, Dolphins, Panthers. Well, here's a, a group that's interesting. Tier 5, uninspiring. Let's see. Cardinals, Jaguars, Tennessee at number 27. Oh, number 28. The Atlanta Falcons come in. Here's their quick write-up. While Jake Matthews and Chris Lindstrom are quality starters, there are still too many glaring holes along this offensive line. The most unfortunate culprit is former first-round pick Caleb McGarry, who simply has improved in three years as a starter and yielded 41 pressures on the right side of last season. So let me make sure I've got this right, because we're going to talk about this in the next segment. So we've got two top 10 pass catchers, but we have one of the worst graded offensive lines in the entirety of the NFL. And we don't have a quarterback who throws a lot. And we don't have a quarterback who's all that. Okay. Um, remind me again, could we have drafted top 10 in the offense? Anyway, look, this is the reality of the, of the Atlanta Falcons. And, and I'm, I'm still confused about what our offensive philosophy is. I really am. You know, we've drafted two top 10 pass catchers but we don't have a quarterback. Um, we don't have a good offensive line. Okay. We talk about wanting to transition into a power running game. Okay. I have three of the worst offensive linemen in the NFL to try to do that with. I also don't have a block first tight end, which is fine. But I mean, let's be honest. We don't have a block first tight end. If you're going to run, 
those kinds of sets and things like that. Can the Falcons be better on their offensive line? Sure. I mean, attrition, right? I mean, I don't know how much you balance the idea of guys are naturally going to get better or guys can't be worse. And that's not a good position to be in. And this is what makes me scratch my head is how you could not have invested one of your two top 10 picks these last two seasons into a guy. You wanted Charlie Cross last year? Let, let me ask you this question. Which is faster, Usain Bolt or how fast the Seahawks ran their pickup to the commissioner to take Charlie Cross at number nine when the Falcons took Drake London at number eight? The, the, the Seahawks took their pick so fast to the commissioner that this is true. The NFL had to chastise the Seahawks about being too fast in making their pick. When you're too fast in making that pick, doesn't that tell you something? Doesn't that tell you about what your draft pick just was? Anyway, um, look, I don't think McGarry starts. I've said this, you know, we've talked about this here before. I don't think McGarry is going to be your starter at the end of the day. They have nothing invested in Caleb McGarry. They didn't draft McGarry. They're going to find a replacement. He's on the final year of his contract. They're not going to lock him up. They're not going to resign him. Didn't pick up his fifth-year option. I think he's the most likely guy to be replaced. And most likely, and you can like this or not like this because I don't like it, they're going to play Hennessy and Mayfield side by side. Now, unless you tell me that Mayfield can go out and he can win that right tackle job, which he could. I mean, he may be in the mix. The thing is, when we get to, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, when we get to training camp in preseason, my mass focus, my sole focus by and large is going to be how does the offensive line come together? With all due respect, we've got the guys that we're going to start and who's on our defensive line. I'm not telling you it's all the answers, but that's pretty much set. Yeah, inside linebacker, if Dion is gone or if they don't start him, okay, whatever. Defensive backs, yeah, we've got our two starting corners. We probably have our two starting safeties, fine. Running back, okay, there's only one. We'll talk about this next. There's only one running back spot that's up for grabs. Wide receiver, okay, whatever. That offensive line battle is where my hardcore focus and attention is going to be, is how do they shake this thing up? Because if you're going to tell me that they're just going to run it back, that they're just going to line up the same five guys, why am I going to expect a different result out of this team? Why, why am I going to expect, yes, they'll be better. Like, for instance, okay, Jalen Mayfield might not be the worst left guard in the entirety of the NFL, but he might only be the seventh worst guard in the entirety of the NFL. Kayla McGarry might not be one of the worst right tackles in the NFL, Maybe he's only the sixth worst right tackle in the NFL. Matt Hennessy might not be the worst center in the NFL. Maybe he's the 10th worst center, and that's being probably charitable. But you understand what I'm saying? That even getting a little bit better on your offensive line, they have to, without question, this group up front has to be the single most improved unit on this team. If it does not start with the offensive line, is the most improved group, not your corners, not your safeties, not your linebackers, even more than your pass rush, because you feel like they can't be worse in their pass rush, right? They're going to dumb their way into more than 18 sacks, but you're not going to get anything fixed offensively 
if that group doesn't play well up front. And we could talk about, and we'll give the numbers out in the next segment about transitioning from pass to run and all that kind of stuff. It all sounds great. And you've drafted two top 10 pass catchers. I'd love to tell you that, hey, we got back-to-back top 10 pass catchers. We're going to drop back and throw it, and we're going to get those guys going all over the field. Oh, except that we don't have a quarterback. We don't have an offensive line that can block and pass protection. Okay, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how'd you enjoy the play? So if this is not the most improved group, even more than the pass rush, if this is not the most improved group, you're going to be stymied offensively. You don't have Matt Ryan to bail you out. You don't have the great wide receivers to bail you out. You don't have those guys here anymore. So I'm not surprised where the Falcons offensive line ranked, but you better tell me that there's going to be some mass improvement this year. All right, when we get back, we're going to take a look at historically the breakdown of pass versus run in the Atlanta Falcons offense and where that could be this year. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked on Sports Atlanta. Back on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked on Sports Atlanta, asking you to head over to YouTube.com, put Locked on Sports Atlanta into your search browser, find our page, subscribe to our channel, free and available also on all of your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify and Odyssey. Leave us a five-star review there, and of course, follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. So we were talking about here in the last segment the offensive line rankings for the Atlanta Falcons and how much that it's going to dictate what the Falcons offensive success will be. I will give the Falcoholic uh, credit on this. They put this article out breaking down the Falcons run pass splits over the last several years, seven years actually worth and where they may be this year. So it was interesting to see the Falcons starting in 2015 is where this starts. 59.7% passing to 40.3 rush. 16, 56% passing, 44% rush. 17, 55.2% passing, 44.8% rushing. Starting in 2018, this is where it gets uh, pretty big. Uh, Starting in 2018, 63.7 pass, 36.3 rush. 19 was 65.4 pass, 34.6 rush. 2020, 60.6% pass, 39.4% rush. And then last year, 59.3% still pass, 40% rush. So basically what we're talking about is the Falcons are a 60-40 pass-to-run team. Now, again, I've explained this forever and a day, and now the numbers back it up, that as long as they had Matt Ryan here, they were by and large going to be a pass-heavy offense first. It is interesting to look at their couple of playoff years because they did run the football more effectively in 16 and 17, which also coincides with, hmm, That's when they made the Super Bowl and the divisional round of the playoffs. And that was one of their only 2,000-yard seasons that they had from a running back in the last decade where Freeman had 1,000 yards in 2016. So what are the Falcons going to be this year offensively? They've already discussed the idea that, look, they obviously want to be more of a power run team. Now, obviously, that makes sense in what Arthur Smith's background and his DNA is and this and that and the other. But let me tell you what we also don't have to make that happen. Um, Let's see. We don't have Derrick Henry. Oh, so that's one big piece. Um, What else do we not have? Oh, yeah. Taylor Lewan, Jack Conklin, and a team full of great offensive linemen that the Titans had when they were at their peak as far as running it goes. And imagine, you know, look, with all due respect to Marcus Mariota, he ain't had to run for his life behind an offensive line the way that he's got with this squad. He's going to find it's a whole new world. Desmond Ritter the same way. So. How much can that change in one year? 
60-40 pass because it's not going to be 60-40 pass. They're not going to be a 60-40 pass to run offense. We broke down where the average team is in the league, both in the run and in the pass. You know, that number probably will come a little bit closer to even, but obviously if you're down in games and you're behind and you're playing catch up, you're going to have to start to throw the football more, which is not going to play in the Falcons probably strength as far as what their offensive style should be. I think you'll see a lot of run early in their, in their offense, a lot of trying to establish the run early and look, Let's be honest. If if Mayfield, Hennessy, and McGarry are not, you know, if they're very low tier pass blocking offensive linemen, run the football. Let them go north and south. Let let them let them lock their hands up on guys because that's what McGarry's strength is, right? I mean, McGarry's number one strength is the fact that if he gets you locked up, he can move you where he wants to. He's big enough, strong enough. You know, again, saw the pictures at OTAs or whatever that you know he's looking like four out there, right? I mean, I guess he's the, the stunt double for Chris Helmsworth or whatever, but this offense is not ready to be a completely balanced attack yet. And score and situation and things like that will dictate it. But what I'd love to be able to tell you, yes, it would be kind of fun to see them be 60-40. That's not going to be a good thing. A- asking Marcus Mariota to do something or Desmond Ritter to do something that they've not done historically you know, Ritter is is still a guy who's going to have to learn on the job. You really want to be a 60-40 offense where he's got to sling it all around, and that's that's if he plays. I mean, I think he'll play at some point, but let, again, let's just go off the assumption that Marcus Mariota is your starting quarterback. You want to be a 60-40 offense, him passing the football, and this is where the frustration gets in, and this is where I continue to ask, how are we going to be what we want to be? Wouldn't you think that if you wanted to be a run first type of offense or a more evenly balanced offense that you would have invested in running back or offensive line, especially and build those units up. This is where, look, while I love Kyle Pitts, if you'd have drafted Panay Sewell two years ago, you'd have had your offensive line figured out. At, At least you'd have had a blueprint, you know, I'll start Jake at left tackle. I'll start Panay Sewell at right tackle. I'll have McGarry uh, move into left guard. Well, I'll have two years to evaluate him. I have two years at at low cost to evaluate. Can I make him an interior offensive lineman? Like, I don't know, Tony Mandrich, Robert Gallery, among others, guys who were dominant left tackles in college. They tried that in the NFL. It didn't work. Oh, yeah, kick him inside and became really good interior offensive lineman. So there is a blueprint for that. So I could have lived with Hennessy. If I'd have had at least a veteran on the inside, Panay Sewell on the right tackle spot in two years, whoop, we flipped those two guys with him and Matthews. Now Sewell's going to go out the left tackles. Matthews will go over to be right tackle. And I still feel good about my offensive line. And presto, I've got a plan how to get this thing where I need it to be and on track. And now I feel like I can have a running game. What did we just say about McGarry? His best attribute, his physical size and strength pushing and moving guys around. Why not use that on the inside? So because of not fixing some of these things, it makes it harder for this team to probably play in the type of style that they want to be. So if you told me that they would be 55-45, that's probably about what I would believe, which, you know, again, they haven't been 55-45 since 
probably the early days of Matt Ryan. I mean, we just gave you the numbers from from 2015 and on. Um, you know, they've been 60-40 during this last seven-year stretch. Now you can say, well, what's that one then? Well, it got them to a Super Bowl in the division round of the playoff, and you have a Hall of Fame-level quarterback that you still didn't address your defensive line or offensive line, but whatever. At this point, you know, it's we got to work with the, the, the tools and the pieces that we have out there. But I don't think success for the Atlanta Falcons is going to come from being a 60-40 type of offense. And I don't think that they have the pieces and the parts and the personnel, even with two top 10 draft picks, even with signing 94,000 wide receivers, even with having all these tight ends and all this kind of stuff that they have, you know, right? I mean, at the end of the day, offensive line quarterback dictates that, right? Your receivers, as we explained, there, there has to be five things that happen before a wide receiver is able to make a play in the NFL. You got to snap, you got to block, you got to read, you got to actually throw it accurately, blah, 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 blah. Then the wide receiver can go up and catch it and, and make a play happen out of all of it. So we will see what this offensive philosophy is going to be. I mean, I know what Arthur Smith says, and I understand what his point is, and I understand where he came from, but they haven't drafted the they they haven't put the pieces together. That's why I think that when we get toward training camp, that you're going to see the Falcons first and foremost add to their offensive line. That's where they're going to spend their free agent money. They still have money. They want to spend it. They don't want to have all this cap space even for this year. You might as well spend it. So go get some offensive linemen and come training camp. It's going to be a heavy, heavy competition. All right, the Braves won 12 in a row last night, but they had to pay a price for it. What's life going to be like without Ozzie Albies? We'll talk about that next. Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked on Sports Atlanta. Back on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked on Sports Atlanta. Head over to YouTube.com. Find our page there in your search browser, Locked on Sports Atlanta. Subscribe, leave us a comment. Also free and available. Don't forget, download us on all of your favorite podcast platforms. You can listen anytime, anywhere. Spotify, Odyssey. Leave us a five-star review. And, of course, follow me on my personal Twitter page, at JMCH316. Well, the Braves won 12 in a row last night. And it was just an... an, an that whole game last night was ugly in so many ways. And it's good that the Braves won. He had a rain delay that delayed the game. You know, Dansby got plunked. And then, of course, Ozzy hits a ball, awkward swing, and fractures his foot last night. And going to be out probably at least a couple of months out of all of it. Just really sucked last night. That, that, whole, that whole scene and scenario in Washington. And it seems like there's always crazy whacked out things that happen in Washington. First off, it always rains up there, but just weird things happen up in, up in Washington. I hate playing the nationals, but they're a dreadful, dreadful baseball team. So what does this mean now for the Atlanta Braves moving forward? How is life without Ozzy? Well, you know, look, you're not going to replace a switch hitting good defensive second baseman. That's got the kind of power that, that Ozzy has. And Ozzy's had a little bit of struggle this year. I mean, he's not been, He's not been his typical Aussie self. I mean, he's got 15 doubles, eight homers, 33 RBI. Um, he's been caught stealing the most times in the National League, which has been crazy. Coming off a 20-steal season last year, he's already been caught five times, which is one more than he was caught in 156 games last year. 34 runs, only hitting 244, so he's down about 15 points year over year. On base is down, slugging is down, uh, and his OPS is down. And it seemed like Ozzy is one of the guys that – really kind of had trouble finding his power stroke. And I don't know why that is. I mean, 
you know, I, I know he's bounced around the lineup a little bit. He's hit up toward the second spot. He's hit in the middle of the order. He's hit down a little bit lower and things like that. But that's never really bothered, bothered Ozzy before. You know, he's one of the most versatile guys in baseball as far as where you can hit him and things like that. So what's the plan now? You would have to guess that Arcia is going to be the guy that they're going to rely on a lot. He came in last night, and I'm not telling you that's another great option. You know, we talked about yesterday that, you know, the, the Braves have so many good quality bats and things like that. Well, now you have to use one of those bats, you know, that you were hoping just would be a bench guy. Now you got to use him probably as a starter. The Braves did pick up a Kramer Robertson. Now, here's what we know about Kramer Robinson. Nothing. We don't know anything about Kramer Robinson. Um, he's played for the Cardinals. He's a guy that they claimed off waivers. So he is a middle infielder. Um, okay, that's fine. Um, I, you know, I, I know more about Kramer from Seinfeld than I know about Kramer Robertson. Okay. So we'll see what happens there. He's probably their most likely internal candidate. The other guy who is interesting for the Braves, and I don't think that they will make this move. But they do have Braden Shoemake down there in their minor league system, and he's playing at Gwinnett AAA. Now, I've talked about Brandon Shoemake before on my radio show because if the Braves are going to move on from Dansby Swanson, he is one of the guys that you would look at. He is in Gwinnett. He's one of their top three or four prospects. Now that Michael Harris is out, and by the way, Good for Michael Harris last night, hitting his first big league home run. How cool was all of that uh, last night? In a, in a game filled with a lot of nuttiness and bad things and craziness, Michael Harris hitting his first major league home run was you know, one of the uh, the good things last night. But Braden Shoemake is one of those guys that is in their minor league system. I don't know how he profiles as far as shortstop in at the major league level, but he's a guy that's moving up through their system. And you just saw that they brought up Michael Harris would Shoemake be a guy that they bring up? I don't think so right now. He's not exactly tearing up AAA. He's not been terrible, but he's not exactly tearing up AAA. And I don't think that they want to rush him. I think they want to give him some time down in their minor league system. Because, look, if they don't sign Dansby Swanson, you got to start thinking about what's our next long-term plan at shortstop. And he might be one of those guys. I know some people really like him. Some people are not as high on him about what he can be at the major league level. But... He has got a lot of pub and he is one of their top four or five prospects, you know, three or four prospects in their minor league system right now. So I would expect Orlando Arcia and Kramer Robertson for whatever that does for you. That probably is the most likely thing. Now, the good news is Ozzy will be back. It is a fractured foot. I guess we'll get more on this today after we get all the diagnosis and they'll talk to Snit and we'll get more of an update and things like that. I'm sure double A will probably have a comment as well, but it just sucks. I mean, this is one of your obviously core pieces that you have in your offense. And along with Dansby, there's such a good keystone combo, right? Like there's such a good defensive twosome. You know, you think about, we always talk about in baseball, right? The old axiom, be good up the middle defensively, right? Be good up the middle. Well, Ozzy's a really good defensive second baseman. He's been arguably the last couple of years, maybe the best offensive second baseman in baseball. Are the Braves going to miss him enormously? I don't know. The Braves have caught in so much fire right now that I don't know that losing one guy, I mean, the, the one guy who would completely change up the dynamic of your team is Ronnie. If you lost Ronnie for an extended period of time, that would completely change up the dynamic of your team. That's the one guy they can't afford to lose. But Dansby's done a great job hitting in that two hole. I mean, he's 
flourish. And I've always thought that that would be a good spot for Dansby. I always thought Ozzie and Dansby, you could hit either one of those guys in the two spot. Dansby showing a little bit of patience this year. So he's getting on base. So, you know, Ozzie and some of his struggles, you hate to see it. He is a good defensive second baseman. I don't know that Arcia or even Kramer Robertson is going to be an upgrade there defensively, but this is going to have to be kind of your life. And, you know, we've talked yesterday about the depth of the lineup and this, that, and the other. I don't think it's going to be so much that you feel like you can't make up offensively what Ozzy is because you got enough other guys. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you got Contreras and I know some people are already talking about Contreras playing. Okay. Again, are we in beer league softball? Is this, is this Saturday afternoon? The decade? Like I, I even got a text message last night from somebody, but well, you know, it might be time to try Contreras at second. They've talked about one of the guys. Okay. So I'm going to trot out. I'm, I'm going to, who, who are we playing this week? The, the Lawrenceville rec league. Like, what are we doing here? Like, I don't want to monkey around at second base right now. That's You can monkey around at some positions in Major League Baseball, okay, as far as defensively and things like that. Third base, you can sort of monkey around. Look, Steve Garvey was a third baseman before he became a first baseman, and he was so awful at third base, they had to move him over to first. So you can monkey around with some bad defensive players in left field or this, that, and the other. You don't want to monkey around with a guy who's not played second base regularly. You don't want to monkey around with that position. If you do that, you're going to be in real trouble. Like, you're going to find yourself in real trouble in your middle infield, and that's not a place that you want to mess around with. Am I excited about Orlando Garcia or potentially a Kramer Robertson? Not really. And I don't think that Braden Shoemaker is a guy that they want to rush up, and, you know, that would be kind of interesting to see if they bring him up. Of course, I say that, you know, and I never thought that Michael Harris was going to come up from their minor league system without playing in AAA, but stranger things have happened out there. So life without Ozzy is not going to be fun. It's going to be a little bit tough. I don't think they're going to miss him so much offensively, but you're definitely going to miss that glove and that hole that you have at second base and just more speed on your team. That's if nothing else, one of the elements that Ozzy always brings to the game is his speed. All right. We well, thank you so much for making hitting hard with John Chuckry. Your first listen, we ask you to make, uh, our buddies Jarvis Davis and Tini Batiste over at ATL Day One's your second listen. You can find them free and available on our YouTube page at Locked On Sports Atlanta and on all of your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, Odyssey. Make sure you rate us and review us. Give us a five-star review on the podcast. Give us a like and give us a comment on our YouTube page. And, of course, you can follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. Back with you tomorrow. This has been Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.